to Oya's podcast. Today, I sit down with Mayan Metzler. Mayan is one of the founders of Oya. I finally got the chance to speak with him, and Mayan and I's conversation kind of went all over the map. But the main theme being about Oya itself. Oya is a platform. It's a platform for people who are involved in alternate ways of living and alternative ways of being, and hence alternative ways of becoming. That can range from health-related to spirituality-related to educationally-related to economically-related. Anyone who is experimenting with different ways of doing things than how they are currently being done in the world. Mine has his own spiritual traditions, which we talk about in the podcast. But along that same theme, basically the fact that institutional power or the status quo could be in religion or politics or other fields does not seem to be working for our time and place. And so experimenting with different ways of doing things is of the utmost importance. My aunt and I know each other very well. So this was a very fun conversation, uh, and I hope you all enjoy. Hello, Mayan. Hello, hello. So uh, let's start off, and the name of the podcast is Oya's Podcast. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I've done a short episode previously to this kind of explaining who Oya is. So we don't need to go through that. That's for people can listen to that. It's like four minutes long. You have the time to do that, folks. Um, so I kind of want to just start with, since we have you here in the hot seat today, to start by having you kind of give people maybe a trajectory of where you were and how you got to where you are to even want to start Oya as a, as a company. Sure. So for me, I'm going to be 47. It must have started as early as 15 or 16 when I had those feelings, those, I don't know, some people call it visions, whatever it is, where I felt like I can help the world. I want to help the world. And so it's going on 30 plus years that I always feel like, and, and I think it should be anybody's duty that has anything to give to humanity to the planet if you come with some ability some talent some anything so instead of keeping it to yourself or just living your life and making money or whatever makes you happy if you can give back and you have something to give back i see it as, as a mission as a duty so it started with those feelings i always felt okay i can do something for the world and it continued always forever so back in 06 in 06 i was exactly 30 right born 1976 so that's when i started my planet kind of the same thing same vibe of doing some something to help the world and it evolved into oya just because uh, mainly of the real estate we had the opportunity beginning of 021 starting in new york and then we took everything that we already have all those feelings uh, you know altruistic feelings of wanting to give back and we're pouring it in into oya and I, I think that's probably 
what makes Oya is that we actually have the real estate. So we have a physical place to play and, and to do things versus having an organization or a movement that doesn't have the real estate, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of people, there's this old phrase that says, when you're young and idealistic, that if you're young and you're not idealistic wanting to change the world, you don't have a heart. And then it says, if when you're older and you're not like more conservative and traditional about what you want to do, then you don't have a brain. And, <laughs> but there's, so, you know, there's a lot of like, a lot of younger kids, they, um, they get like, they start learning about the world and how the world works as they get older. And then they kind of get pissed off. They get angry. They're like, what, what am I inheriting? I get out of this like realm and I, what, what am I being given to, to deal with? And they get really angry and then they calm down as they get older. But I always thought then as you get older, then you start to want to, um, those, a lot of people just kind of get embittered with life yeah. and they're just kind of like, well, screw it anyways. I don't, you know, what am I supposed to do? And I can just look out for myself and my family and that's all I can do and screw everything else. And, well, I've been playing this game so long, we'll just keep playing this game. And then others um, want to leave more of a legacy. It becomes about legacy, and legacy can happen through children. It could happen through creative endeavors like writing a book or making a movie or something like doing a painting. Um, but it also happens through starting a business and trying to enact change. So there's very, I think there's not as many people who want to leave the legacy. They just kind of go, screw this. I'm just going to focus on me as I get older. That's kind of the popular thing to say. If it's not for the money and, and for the fame, then it's for the legacy, mm. which I understand. But it, believe it or not, in my case, it's not even about a legacy. It's just a job. I just, I truly believe that it's the mission. I have to do it. I don't have a choice. Whatever happens, happens. Plus, it's timing, right? Because even just during the time that we've known each other, we see the world changing so much. So, one thing that I think is a consensus that everybody agrees is that these are times of change. And, you know, so many things are happening in the world that the world just needs it, you know. And the other thing that I believe, I have no doubt about it, I know that this project is not my creation, it's from the universe. And I get proof of that every day. That's, that's yeah. the, the miracles that I talk about in the form of people that we connect to. Every day, even today. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, there's there's certain ways that you feel pushed when you start seeing, especially it seems like we're in a, a very big shift, historically speaking. There's been lots of big shifts throughout history, and this seems like uh, like another one. And when there is a big shift, there's a lot more chaos that comes onto the scene around the world and we're seeing that through you know revolutions around different countries and um over you know people obviously dissatisfied even if they can't put their finger on it um the exponential rise of technologies and different things coming online that are unprecedented and we still haven't figured out how to use them yet um but in a time of chaos in a time of transition there's lots of potential for change um what do you see as the number maybe there, I know there's lots of different things Oya is doing or focusing on, but is there one thing in particular that you're probably excited about 
or you think is probably the most necessary aspect of how people should uh, change and what and we're promoting? To me, the two words that always repeat themselves are transformation, collaboration. Collaboration, transformation. If I have to choose one, it's always collaboration because I'm sure there are cases where we do collaborate, but the way that I see it, we didn't truly collaborate because people, they look at themselves. We live in what I call separation consciousness where every person is, is different. And what, that's what I mean by not truly, truly collaborating and truly joining forces in, in a self, selfless way. And I believe that if we find ways to truly collaborate, that could really change the world. And what, what I mean by that, practically speaking from Oya's perspective is we have a few locations, maybe we'll own and operate a few more, you know, going back to what you really want in life, you know, it's a huge, huge, huge undertaking. I don't really need it in my life to have more, more headache, more operational challenges, but maybe we will. So maybe we'll get to, I don't know, seven, eight, 10, 20 locations, you know, in, in many years. But if we focus on the collaboration, there are many like-minded people, like-minded organizations around the world that are doing what we do. And actually, in many ways, are doing it better, longer, have developed me methods. So if we find a way to connect the dots and collaborate, then we can identify all these great people and th these great organizations and m make it... Um, connect everybody and that that's really what it's all about and th that's what um, I believe my role is you know you have to prioritize so if I have to focus on one thing it's always on the collaboration going back to what I was saying before the miracles meeting people if we can find ways to form that collaboration faster and easier that would just make everything better right exponential growth yeah yeah are you talking about specifically using um having collaborated on locations and then on methodologies and on practices, or can you be a little bit more specific about how, how you'd like to collaborate with other people? Yes. Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of examples. So maybe we'll find a great life changing resort somewhere in Colombia where I, Michelle probably did actually end of the world some, somewhere, you know, 10 hour drive in, in Colombia. So, how do we get to a point where we're collaborating, where there are resorts somewhere in Colombia with Oya or Oya with that place in Colombia? So that's what I mean as far as other locations around the world. As far as people, I can give you a practical location from what's going on in, in Dominican Republic right now. So, you know, we have the Oya location up in the mountains, and then we wanted to have a beach location. So we have the beach club which we have to rent and we'll do whatever we do. But then there's another guy, Victor, who has a surf club on the other side of the beach, which if we find a way, and I think that's kind of a very practical example of figuring out what the collaboration model will be, so he's called the Cabarete Surf Club. So if we can do it, Oya Cabarete Surf Club or Cabarete Surf Club Oya, and then that becomes another Oya Beach Club location, it's a win-win for everybody. Is that yeah. what you meant or not yeah, exactly? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's, exa no, that's exactly what I meant, like some practical ways that it's been happening so far. It's just, it's just finding like-minded people. 
what's interesting, I, I'm curious because like with Oya, I know we're we're inviting in all people who have alternative ways of living or who have ideas around things that are outside of the status quo, um, but who are also focused, like you said, on the core idea of collaboration. And it's because we just see, especially in the, I guess in Western countries, but you see it everywhere, really, this fragmentation of everybody. And it's partially to do with social media and this like algorithm separating people and people are living in different realities online and people are just kind of just pushing themselves apart and it's really polarizing and fragmenting everywhere. Um, so, but we're also bring, trying to bring in all these disparate groups and we're trying to get them to collaborate with each other. Now, if you look historically speaking and in other ways, that's not e an easy thing to do. <laughs> there's always um, lots of impossible. infighting. Yes. Yeah, there's like tons of infighting, even among like groups that broadly agree with each other in any ideological spectrum. There's just tons of infighting and these are the rules. No, no, these are the rules. No, no, we should do it that way. No, we should do it this way. Totally. Um, we have it going on as, as we speak within Oya. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always, I guess, I don't know if you have an, an answer to this and I'm just kind of thinking out loud because this is something that I've been thinking about is like, how do you think of like, how do we come together and collaborate when you're dealing with a bunch of different humans with their own, coming with their own uh, baggage? I mean, uh, their own, um, all of us who live in this insane society are equally traumatized by it. And we're coming with all these weird default kind of baggage that people come from from different backgrounds being brainwashed by this current system and ways of doing things and getting them to come in and maybe exercise their trauma out and get it out of their system or something in some way, getting them to detox, you know, uh, not just like health-wise, but, you know, uh, mentally and spiritually, I guess. Um, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts around that at all? Um, not, not anything world-changing, but, you know, I, we left Corelle on Friday and when we left, everything was just group, group hug where everybody's together. And now I have to go back and I feel like, okay, it's my job now to get us to that point because everybody, like you said, is voicing their opinions and a bit of friction and all that. So I feel myself like it's kind of like my thing because I've been doing it as a more in business leadership and management and I'm getting everybody to work together for 25 years. So I know that I'll, I'll get it done. And... I could, um, as we say in Hebrew, slang, fly on myself and say, wow, you're amazing. This is your thing. And you're, you're, you're such a strong uh, energy fixer. But then I'll be hanging out with the kids and they totally, you know, t take me for a walk. And, I'm, <laughs> and I think I don't, I don't know how I'm going to change the world because I can get two or three or definitely five of them to get along. But I, I think that's, I guess that's every parent, you know, definitely gets you off yourself when you're with the kids yeah exactly I, th I think the dealing with the kids is like a microcosm of dealing with the company in a way yeah <laughs> because, yeah but definitely, you know. yeah for sure yeah. but definitely it, it just it always uh humbles you right because you can think that wow i'm so amazing and i can i can do exactly what we're talking about is get everybody to unite but then can do it with the kids so how can you change the world yeah, exactly. Um, 
What do you think? So right now, what um, is big in uh, different holistic and spiritual circles and um, other alternative lifestyle circles is this: uh, people are starting to copy the internet um, in in certain ways. So how they think about things, or even you know, you and I are one of our favorite topics is mycelium or you know mushrooms, and how how those things work in that they have this, it's like this decentralized connected network. So it's this, this nodal network of things. And you could have networked spiritualism or you could have networked uh, communities. Um, kind of like the same way Google has no, like they're all over the planet, but there's no like one big building, right? Somewhere. There's just like a ton of them, ton of locations. Um, and that seems to be the way to keep a, a out of danger, but B also to allow people to um, what we say in the U.S. is you can vote with your feet. So, like, if I don't like one particular community somewhere, or let's say according to American political standards, if I don't like this state, I can just get up and move to another state where mm -hmm. I, they do things the way I like it. I think that might be a potential way of doing it if you have multiple communities and we're collaborating with people across the globe constantly. I don't like, so, you know, maybe that, that particular community dynamic isn't for me, but we have uh, underlying core values and, and at least um, a impetus to collaborate and to change and know that we need to move forward and know that nobody has the answers and we're all working on them. Um, but yeah, you're never going to get along with everybody. I don't get along with my brothers no. and sisters either. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it shouldn't you know. even be a goal because it's too yeah. too too good to be true and too much of a paradise and too much against human nature. Where we all have our things, yeah. we all have our moments. It's pro probably impossible. But so so finish your point. I think you're going to say something about. I was that. just going to. I was I was just saying. I kind of see like a biological organism, right? So like, it's not that my toes get along with my eyes. But they still work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's different layers and different levels of this. There's different parts that have different jobs or have different skill sets or have different strengths, and other ones that are completely stupid when it comes to other things, right? But they somehow all work together. Yeah, I guess I don't know if this really answers what what you're saying, but what I always hope would work. And obviously, for sure, there are going to be cases where you connect with one location because your friends are there in the community and the vibe, or maybe it's just whatever it is, every location is going to be different. But what, what I always hope will happen, and I think that's our main invention here, is that we really are a platform inviting people to create their own world within the platform. What I mean by that is even within an, an OYA location, you can be, let's say, at a certain villa with your friends and family around in their cabins, resort within a resort, and never interact, never even go to the main amenity area and just be there and, and do your thing and maybe just you know, be, be in your own world, maybe like you're living your life because maybe you're not such a social person. Not everybody is social, social and wants to be in a community all the time. And meanwhile, there might be a ceremony in the river with 100 people and you, so you, one, you can do whatever you want to do, but also you can create whatever you want to create. So I hope, and it's already happening to a certain extent, that this platform will just invite everybody to utilize their own 
special skills, special talents, special whatever they bring, and then they will create their own reality, and that's how it would be compatible. Yeah. They're seeing the freedom that they're given to create. Um, I always, yeah, I agree with that. I always said that uh, liberty is probably the prime value that you can have. Um, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't conflate that or confuse that with freedom. Freedom is very different than liberty, because if I have liberty, um, and if I'm going to promote that, then there are certain restrictions I have to put on myself so I don't impede on your liberty. If I want to turn that dial up, right, right, then I have to provide things for you to be able to strengthen you as well, which in turn strengthens me. Um, but like, it's kind of there's an old libertarian saying that uh, my rights stop right before my fist hits your face because I don't have yeah. the right to hit you. I don't have. I, right, I can bring right. it close, but that's yeah. where it stops. Oh, and we pull back, right? So I, I, I like what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's exactly they can kind of come together. They can maybe see pretty they're given to do what they want. And then they'll be like, Are you really gonna force us on other people? This is a platform for everybody. This is a platform exactly. for people yeah. to come and nobody's forcing anything on anybody. It's just a place that you can experiment. It's kind of like a petri dish of sorts. And exactly. Right. And we're still we're you know, we're still capitalists at heart, you and I. And if, and if you ha if you have if you have a way that's better than everybody else's, then you will outcompete the other ones, yeah. right? People will be drawn to it. So, yeah, and you know, it also comes from a place of we're doing so much. It's such a race, nonstop, between all the different projects, all the different locations, family life, five kids. It's it's impossible. So we really from our selfish point of view we just don't want to operate everything we don't want to make up all the rules we don't want to have to cook the food and make the bed so we hope that we're going to find other people that will take it so it's really just that's uh, not such a such a big meaningful vision but again if you look at our selfish perspective that's one of the main motivators about why we want it to be a platform we want to give it and let other people uh, develop it from there and also open source so what, what I mean by that, not only do you have a platform where you can do it, whatever you do, but also hopefully there will be other great minds and great leaders that will develop the rules, right? What you were refer, referring to before, because right now we have to set the rules and create the whole manual, which is also quite, quite a project. But hopefully the open source part of it is there will be other creators that join us that develop the manual and make up the rules. And maybe they have better ideas for how such a thing can work because you know may maybe they spend their whole life on it and they, they already come with a, a perfect plan for us so bottom line right. everybody's welcome to join and create within the platform yeah i think two prime examples because when you're creating these little communities and these tribes too um that they are they're they're just many versions of it's just groups collectively coming together as a community and you can say that a nation state at the end of the day is a community, right? Just a larger community under things. And I think two prime examples are actually both of our countries in two different ways, is that you can have a country like Israel, which is based off of very particular values, a very particular tribe of people coming together, and they included other tribe members in their, in their group as well. And But it's based on 
the values of a very particular tribe. America came together, a bunch of disparate people, and you had a constitution, which is not, it's, it's, you know, the constant, our constitution is not like a thousand pages long of like all these little nitpicky rules and all this kind of stuff. It's just like basic tenets that people should live by. These are the basic underlying values and rules. You don't have to, oh, you don't have to like waterboard people using American language. You don't have to waterboard people with all these different things that they they should be doing or have to be doing, right? Yeah, small, small difference, which makes a huge difference, is the American Constitution is about protecting the rights of the people and the freedom, right, of the individuals. Israel doesn't have a constitution, but it's all about protecting the Jews. <laughs> it's all about um, doing what, whatever you have to do to, to protect the Jews. And mm. I, I just don't see how that could ever work. Because it, it, it was created, <laughs> you're laughing, it, it was created out of fear, right? After the Holocaust. Right. What, what can we do to make sure that this won't happen again? In general, the rule of thumb, anything that you create out of a fear, state of mind, is doomed to fail. Yeah. What I found interesting about the creation of Israel is that you guys, like the, because it was the Ashkenazi uh, Jewish people, which you are, um, that endured the Holocaust. Your ancestors went through the Holocaust. But the Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews didn't go through the Holocaust. In fact, they sat back and didn't even help you guys out at all up there while it was happening. So, yeah, well, and it, then it you depends, and yeah. then you go and you say, all right, so we're going to come down where you are now because apparently you were safe down here. Uh-huh. <laughs> And we're going to stay down here. I mean, does that ever come up in conversations? This is a tangent now we're going on. But does that ever come yeah. up where you go, you damn Sephardic people didn't even lift a finger for to help I, my grandmother? I don't, I don't, I don't see any Ashkenazi dare uh, <laughs> say such a thing to Sephardic because it's all heated up as it, as it is. But I will tell you that yeah. Ohad's dad, they were in Tunisia, and he felt that he's a war victim, so he's getting compensation from the Germans for that being in Tunisia. Ohad always jo- jokes about how did my dad be getting mo- monthly from the German? <laughs> but you know, it's it's a taboo to- topic. You know, we work with with the Germans, and my my former partner always loved getting into a di- uh, dinner with a uh, German, which you know our age is third generation, and always asking them. Hey, what um, what did your grandparents do during the war? They're always like, don't talk about that stuff. And then, don't you think that Germany is paying billions of dollars to all these Jews from the war, spending your money? That's like a super taboo topic in Germany. Nobody ever touches that. They do not. I, no. I've been there multiple times. They never talk about it. Yeah, never. but he loved to, to mess with them at dinner, <laughs> bring it up, bring up the whole N-word stuff. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a German friend who has a really good sense of humor about it. I, there's very few that do. Um, he said he goes, "Hey, he goes, my my. Did you know my grandfather? He died in a concentration camp." And you're like, first you think, "Oh, he's Jewish," and he goes, "Yeah, he fell out of the guard tower." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very few Germans are that way. 
Exactly. Yeah, you got. I mean, you, at the end of the day, you got to have a little bit of levity to it when you're, especially the tension. There's got to be some release of the tension between these people, because like most people alive now, Germans and Jews, none of the people, like none of the new Germans, are like we didn't do anything. It's like no, you didn't. But there is the tension in the history, and so it's like you got to release that tension sometimes. You can't just have it sitting there all the time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But let me go back to the Jews. I don't know if we planned the podcast that, that way, but you know, so I'm going to be on the podcast. No. I have to share. Go ahead. My, my view because I think this is kind of the heart of um, bringing world peace and solving the world's problems if the Jews actually get it right. So it's all about the Jews misunderstanding from day one and then whatever they developed led to this whole big mess with the religions and fighting and all that stuff and this is what i'm talking about if the story is actually true where the israelites the chosen ones received the torah received the holy word on mount sinai from god during that event and he said you guys are the chosen ones what does it mean to be the chosen ones you know you when, when I have a conversation and I ask a uh, fellow Jew or Israeli, nobody mm -hmm. a ever answers this right, even though it's very, very obvious. And we know because it's written and everybody knows. What does it mean to the what is What is the job of the chosen ones? In Hebrew, it's or, or goim, to be light to the Gentiles, right? That's the job of the chosen ones. Basically, same job as what we're doing in Oya, trying to change the world. What are we doing? Trying to spread the love and the happiness and take everybody to whatever you want to call it, new earth, heaven on earth, fifth dimension, the promised land, uh, the promised land, all the good stuff, right. right? Spread the love, spread the word of God. So if you do that job and you spread the love to the Gentiles, spread the light to the Gentiles, by definition of you doing your job, that means that there's no such thing as a Jew. Jew is just your interpretation. Of, oh, I'm a Jew. I'm the chosen one. That's the mistake. That's when the Jews began to make their mistake. But if they would do their job as they were supposed to, there would not be religion and separation. There would mm -hmm. be man, human being, because that's the Gentile. Right? You have the chosen ones and then the Gentiles. Chosen ones, spread the word of God, spread the love to the Gentiles. Everybody is in one big happy party. You're back to the Garden of Eden. But, and it's written, it's called... Egel Azahav, the golden calf. Mm -hmm. They got it for maybe a second, few minutes, and then Moses came down, and then they started worshiping the calf and playing games and ego. And, you know, again, that Hebrew slang, flying on themselves and saying, oh, we're the chosen ones, we're the chosen ones. And that started all the big mess. I don't know if you're supposed to use profanity on, on this podcast or not. But anyway. What, they, the, fuck they, are, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. But they, anyway, they fucked it up, right? That, that's when they started yeah, yeah. To, to, to fuck it up by um, becoming arrogant. And then they, they sinned the, the, the sin of arrogance. But if they would do their job, there wouldn't be a religion. Everybody would be the same and everybody would be happy. But that actually started all the religions. The Jews were the first monotheistic religion, right? The chosen ones. Number one religion, rose of religions, best brand. Even if you want to be a Jew, you want to convert, you can't. You know, just a few people work hard. We have all these things we have to do all day long and prayers and duties. We're, we're it. And that just messed it up because then everybody else, instead of actually receiving the love and spreading the love, 
said, what the F is this? We also want a religion. So now Christianity, now Islam, now separation, now competition. The end result of that is instead of doing their job, they actually got messed up in, inside Judaism. What, who, who is the best Jew? And it became a competition. And that's what's going on in Israel right now as we speak. People don't realize because they're too tangled up in the actual politics and the fight. It's a completely insane thing how everybody's spending all their time and all their energy. You know, yesterday I met a, a few Israeli friends. That's all they're, they're occupied with, just mm -hmm. talking about it all day long. My own mom, probably not supposed to say that, that on the podcast, even went to, to a protest. Everybody is into it. But it, it all starts with that, not understanding what their job is, taking it to a place of arrogance, turning it into a competition, you know, Israel, the land of Israel, everybody is just competing with everybody else. Who's the best Jew? Who's the smartest? Who's the richest? Who has the best house, best car, best life, best kids, best everything? Instead of actually doing their job and getting together. Yeah. And if it would happen that way, we, wouldn't ha we would have peace and love with the Arabs. Yeah. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I, I would say the Greeks tried to warn everybody. Um, if you ever read any old Greek tale or literature, this is all pre, um, you know, any any uh, monotheistic religion. Um, they always like the. I'll take the simplest one, uh, Icarus. You know the story of Icarus. No, remind me. So Icarus had the had the wings that were made out of uh, wax and feathers, mm -hmm. and his father is uh, Daedalus, who is named after the the seashell. Um, and so anyway, but anyways, Icarus was always warned if you, when you're flying, don't get too close to the water or else it'll get wet and they'll fall apart and you'll go in the water and you'll drown and you'll die. Or don't get too close to the sun because your wings will catch fire and they'll burn up and you'll fall to your death. And this theme through these allegories repeats itself in all these old Greek stories. And it's basically the idea of remember that it's okay to transcend, but too much transcendence brings arrogance and hubris, right? This ultimate pride. Mm -hmm. And if you go down too low, like you, you think, oh, like you get depressed and like, oh, I'm just a mortal being. Oh, I'm just going to die and da, 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 you know. So you have to balance this finitude being finite with transcendence. You can't take it too far in one direction or the other, right? If you take it down too low, you're, you're dead. If you take it up too high, you're also dead, and it ruins everything. I, I feel like the Greeks were trying to warn us for way before. And, no, and nobody, the, the Jews or the Christians or the Muslims, nobody listened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that, that whole whatever it is that makes you feel that you might be better than others or actually not even better different than others that's what creates the whole consciousness of where we are today mm -hmm. yeah the, the yeah. whole idea is to to evolve to unity consciousness not not separation it's pretty quite challenging because of the way that we're programmed and the way life is yeah but, so can you expand on what you mean by unity consciousness? 
because some people might hear that and think like, I don't know if you've ever seen Star Trek, uh, but the Borg, who are all together, working the machine together, hive mind, left, right, um, up, down. I, so. gu- I guess it would be a logical way to illustrate it in some, in some ways, but basically it's just the understanding of what we really are because we believe that we're physical human beings that are separate from from each other and when we have a spiritual experience usually people believe that we're a physical being physical human being having a spiritual experience actually the opposite is true we're spiritual beings having a physical experience meaning that this body is just a vessel it's part of everything that we have you know being alive on planet earth today the physical body is carrying you know whatever you, you want to believe that we are that energy soul spirit that has been around ma- many many times and <clears throat> you're just going for another quick round here you know 70 80 90 years 100 120 if you're lucky that's nothing compared to millions or billions of, of years that our civilization is evolving so you know it's just a, a short ride here and Again, we believe, and that's what separation consciousness is, that we're separate. But we're only energy, and everything is energy. Human beings, animals, plants, a rock, planet Earth, other planets, everything is energy. So we have a way to expand our consciousness to realize that, and then realize that we can get to a place where we are uniting and we are one. And that goes back to what I was saying is the role of the chosen ones to spread the love of God is to preach that, you know, that if you're really in true love and true bliss, that's what unity consciousness is. It's part of it. Mm-hmm. So this takes it back to, there's, there's a couple forms of um, the Judaism that focus on that message one of them you introduced me to, and the other one I knew about, um, Kabbalah, uh, focuses on this oneness and this emanation from the one, and then it separates it a little bit into, I think, like ten different uh, portions of it that all that are all unified there, are all t- connected together. But the other one that you told me about was uh, Jewish science. Now yeah. I know a lot of the listeners probably heard of Kabbalah. I think everybody heard about it when Madonna became a Kabbalist back in the day <laughs> um, that a lot of Americans keyed into it who were, who were not Jewish. But could you uh, tell people and explain um, what the Jewish science is? To me, like for listeners, they probably just think, like it sounds like Christian science, and then they don't know what Christian science is either. Um, so what is, can you kind of, yeah, kind of explain that for people? Thank you for that question. It's great timing because I just added a video to the website, jewishscience.com. The one that you edited, that you said is yeah. good, you know, the one yeah. that you, you want me to redo. So I'll, I'll redo one, you know, with, just with me talking about it. But um, the story behind it is, is not really a stream of Judaism. It's kind of more of a way of life. And I discovered it probably about eight years ago when Michelle wanted to con- convert and she was just looking for something easygoing. Because the first one where she went across the street to a conservative synagogue, they came back, the guy traditionally, as they usually do, he wanted me to convert. He wanted me to become more religious. Going back to 
that race that I was talking about, about who's the better Jew, oh, you belong to us, so now you have to be, to do all these things. So my initial reaction, forgive me for saying that, you know, to Michelle is, who am I going to build for all these hours? Because yeah. it's very time consuming, <laughs> like traditional, to actually be a religious Jew. And by the way, this is the truth. Anybody that is doing it and exercising it, that is going to listen to that podcast, they're not going to want to admit it, but it's true. They, and this is why it's just, it doesn't work. It's very ritualistic. So you can go on Saturday to the shul. Okay, fine, you meet people. It's also social, it's networking. These are all like reasons that you're giving to yourself for why it's good. But you can spend two, three, sometimes four or five hours just reading from a book, reciting some language that you have no idea what it is. So everybody, and this is what I mean that people will hear and they're not going to want to admit. They just want it to be over. Fact. I know. They just want it to, to, to get it over with. And that part of uh, Judaism, like what they call religious, that, that team in Hebrew, religious Jews, I just never connected to because, honestly, it, maybe not nice to say, but I just, I just feel like it's a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. you, you don't really get anything out of just reciting something like a monkey or like a, a parrot, you know, this doesn't make sense. So I was kind of anti-anything religion when, when I came across it. And I loved it because it opened me up to a whole other completely different way of uh, seeing Judaism. And I can connect that Judaism with the Judaism I was talking about doing your job of sp spreading light to the Gentiles. So she started, you know, the, the process. I came one, one Friday. I, I loved it. And then I started to read everything there is. I read the first book, which is Jewish Science and Health. And it's a way of life. It talks about how you can be as a husband, how you can be with the kids, how you can live your life, how you can be in happiness. Um, and then it, it got to, uh, you can pray. And again, I never actually prayed because I was anti the ritual and the time consuming stuff and the whole way that it's done. That's what, that is what people consider as prayer. And Jewish science says, no, that's not what prayer is. Because one of the first things that Jewish science, like the main principle behind Jewish science, which is already different from most religions, most religions, they say, God is here and you're here and you better behave or else you're going to be punished. Mm -hmm. It's part of the whole mechanism of like brainwashing us into being scared and separation. It's everything to be, to be in fear. It's not true. There is no such thing. God created us in his likeness and in his image and in his likeness. Right? One yep. of the first verses. God created us in his image and in his likeness. So yep. what does it mean? He created us. So he's a creator. If we're in his likeness, we're a creator. So God is not over there disconnected from us and we're here and he's going to punish us. God is within us. God is within our mind. So first thing Jewish science says is you have the God mind. And when you pray, you have to connect to the God mind. But it's already here. So what you actually need to do is you need to be quiet, kind of like meditation. And not just talk, talk, talk and interrupt yourself. That's the way to connect. And I, I uh, connected to that way of prayer because it's how I live my life. It's very similar to meditation and just asking things. 
And then there was a part where it said you can also pray for healing, a technique. So let's say you have a headache, you have backache, knee, whatever. I know you, wherever you are in the world, I can connect to that, what I was referring to earlier, the universe, where everything is one, the matrix, the energy thing. And just with my intention and me practicing this prayer, I can send energy to you to heal you. Basically, the easiest way to understand it is the exercise turns myself and my being into a transmitter. So I receive the energy and the light from the universe and I send it to you. And I imagine just in my mind that if you have a headache, I'm sending it to your headache. You have to also, as the recipient, you have to exercise being the recipient and imagining these thoughts that, you know, the light is washing you and, and curing you. And anyway, I read it, let's say about seven years ago in the book. And I said, okay, okay. Let, me, let me try it. Let me see how it goes. And it worked. <laughs> you know, no, no guarantee, but I have very, very up there success ratio because it's not pressing a button. It's not a miracle. Although there have been cases where people are like, what the F just happened? My, this hurt and it, it went away. There have been such cases if, when it works really well. But most of the time, it's gradual. It's like, oh, yeah, I feel a little better. And then after a few hours, the headache go, goes away. But it just works. And I just read it in a book. And it's a very simple exercise. It's more mm -hmm. simple than you can imagine. That's why I said it's good timing because I just uploaded the video about how to the, the prayer for healing. So my whole content, my whole program behind Jewish science is I just want to teach people how to do that. And the reason that it's so powerful and so beautiful, in my opinion, even if you're not a max, master exerciser and you're not doing the technique exactly the right way, simply the fact that one human spends 15 minutes undivided attention just to try to help another human, that alone is revolutionary because we usually don't do that. Even people that are super altruistic and donate money and nonprofit stuff, they don't spend 15 minutes focused. It's always on the way, it's part of my race of life, you know, I'm gonna help here or help there. So just that act is so powerful. And when people that will do it, will believe in it, will realize that it's actually that way where you have the power, everyone, it's not my, my talent or something. Maybe I exercise it so, you know, I'm better at the technique, which I think everybody can master and people can even be better. But everybody has the power to connect to that oneness and connect to another person. And once people believe in it, that alone is, could, could be consciousness evolving. Because mm -hmm. that's what I mean by unity consciousness. Gotcha. Understand. Cool. Thanks for the explanation. It reminds me of, um, it's got the same flavor as um, other practices or other things that I've, that I've studied. Again, it, like you said, I think the, the main thing that between the other ones that I've studied or like, and that one that they all have in common is they reject that separation, that God is up here, I'm over down here, he's going to punish me that whole way of thinking that that dualistic way of thinking and yeah yeah and also when you realize that god created us in his essence and we are part of god and what we really are is we're creators so actually god is continuing the initial creation act through us every day yep right because we continue to create 
and people are a little bit afraid to even say that just because of the way they were programmed because you know part of what um, Jewish religion is about maybe other religions you're not even supposed to mention the name of God in vain right right you don't right. You, you know they don't say they call it uh, Hashem the name and there's like I don't know 20 different names so they're so afraid to even mention the name so for you to say something like you know you are God God is within you that's like whoa you know you're not you're not supposed to be talking that way about God he's not your buddy or something but you know what yeah. he actually is he created us he loves us he just wants us to be happy and to be doing our thing and, and creating that's what life is all about yeah that's that's why all the the uh the Jews the Christians the Muslims anybody who thinks like that they call them pagans to try and put them in an out group and differentiate them you know because that's generally the the way they've done things for a long time pagan heretic yeah. <laughs> but you know yeah. like this, this thing with Jewish science is not one of the strings uh, you know it doesn't actually get into oh don't do this or you're doing it wrong or you should do whatever you're doing it's fine I'm not even getting into it it's just a way of life that is not even necessarily related to Judaism by the way that's the beauty with Jewish science you know business-wise but also um, potential world-changing opportunity the whole point of Judaism and why it's all wrong but whatever they branded uh, Judaism as the Rolls Royce of religions right yeah. you can't get in even if you want to you want to convert we're gonna make you go through hell for years and you know torture you and then we the rabbis may still say no well, you're not in so with with the uh, JS Jewish science anybody can become a member for life $18 and then we'll just yeah. have to figure out you know what, what what is the value behind the $18 which is mainly if, if you get to learn that technique prayer for healing technique it's worth 18 bucks okay just that, where did the 18 alone. where did 18 bucks come from <laughs> what do you mean i mean why is it 18 bucks to get in yeah 18 because the 18 high mean means live that's um the number 18 uh, in, in Judaism, it's, uh, it's, it's okay. the best number 18 is the, is the best number okay yeah i don't know the number system yeah. okay okay yeah yeah still still it's a very Jew jewish thing but only 18 18 dollars okay. you can be a js <laughs> member so i'm writing off the of the brand judaism here with jewish science js but there's no uh pre-qualification anybody can be a js member yeah it sounds like it combines um basically the practice of presencing yourself and being in the moment along with uh the ritual aspect that a lot like you said when you go into the conservative synagogue now they're just kind of repeating words people are just going repeating words that they don't even understand most people most of them um, yeah it's just it's very ceremonial yeah. and ritualistic they go through it because they know they have to go through it they convince themselves that it's the best thing for them but really just wanted to get get it over you know and hang out yeah. with their friends and eat and drink yeah, but you know, I'm yeah. going pretty head to head with Judaism. But this this might be like I, I didn't think that the podcast <laughs> will go in that that direction. We'll see what happens here. Well, we're we're gonna cancel you. All the, all the other Jews are gonna cancel you. <laughs> they they probably will. I'm I'm saying some pretty controversial stuff. Yeah, I I have I haven't heard um, that opinion about the Jews, but I really think 
it's all the the Jews' fault, and they fucked it up. And as you know, I have the pedigree to say that because I'm 99.99% Ashkenazi Jew. So, yeah, but, this, is, this, is, this isn't, folks. Folks, just for you listeners out there, it's, I I didn't invite Kanye West on a podcast, <laughs> so <laughs> he's real Ashkenazi. <laughs> I have the pedigree. My 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 grandpa on my dad's side, he ran away from Krakow, and Krakow with 60,000 thriving Jews, which pretty much all of them were wiped out in Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my other grandpa, yeah, Sabaon from Romania, he was there during the occupation. And um, the, the Romanian dictator, he was really fighting hard, negotiating with Hitler. So he was pushing, that's why not, Romanian uh, Jews didn't really go too much to, to um, the death camps. They remained a pretty large community, but it was under occupation. So he, he went to like a day camp. He would go do work and like, you know, he was mainly digging up these trenches to hide their planes and stuff. And he would go back. So now he's saying he's totally getting a kick out of it, going back to the compensation from the Nazis. What I, I recognize with, with my Saba Awan is going to be 95 um, next year, just turned 94. He's basically the best moment is when he gets his paycheck and he feels like, wow. Look at this. I'm making like 15K total. And a lot of it is from that. And all I did was just work there for a couple of months. So he's just, that, that's his, his uh, longevity mechanism. He just wants to make it to another month, you know, just to, he feels like he screwed the system and just make, get another paycheck. That's funny. <laughs> you know, I, I've been noticing, um, I follow lots of different religions and uh, traditional ones and then also old spiritual traditions and new spiritual traditions. And there's lots of talk among a lot of them, this includes in Christianity and in Islam, um, in Buddhism, not not as much, but a little bit, uh, in Hinduism as well, and then in older spiritual traditions as well. And the, the new guys is that um, I've seen it, I've been following Christianity most on, uh, most on this, um, they're just sick of that going into church, hearing the boring sermon. I want to go out to eat with my friends, like you said. I want to just hang out. It's a waste this of time. Is, it's a waste, it's of, a waste of time. It. Nobody is, it, people are so afraid to call it and to go head to head with the religion and just to say, it's just a waste of time. That's the truth. Well, they just find it meaningless. And, and so there's like this weird hearkening in uh, Catholicism uh, to go back to this old version of Catholicism, like this medieval era, where it used to be more ritual based. Meaning ritual as in routine, but like, you know, the way that they used to hold the mass, where it was like this big theatrical, very emotional, very engaging uh, ceremony. Not just reading out of a book or hearing somebody lecture you about you being a bad person or how to be a better person, but actually enacting the death of christ and that's what mass initially is right you know this is jesus died and, and you like a good padre or priest would enact that and it would really like touch you emotionally deep down and it would resonate with you on a different level um and you know these all these people with shared cultures what they can do when they have these rituals in place is they can um they can embody them and they can get out of this uh, they can they can come together as a community and a, and a group, and they can kind of unify for a short period of time. There's like these little blips yeah. 
that they get where they feel unified? Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the real stuff is everything that the indigenous people do, all the ancient wisdom, right. all the ceremonies. That's the way to really practice religion. And that's getting together. And that, you know, is the best. Uh, yep. But that, first of all, it's not scripted. It's not, they maybe have their songs and they have some things that they, they might say, but it's more about you connecting with whatever you connect. And usually from what I've seen, everybody can participate, you know, and that, you know, if you get into a certain energy level of, of sharing and all that, and you can express yourself and share with the group, that's one of the best things that we can do. That's transformational. Yep. That, that's amazing. And, um, you know, uh, one of the most amazing things that is happening right now, and right now it's just accelerating even in the last week, is um, the whole thing with the ancient trail, you know, and mm -hmm. the indigenous uh, tribes. Explain to people uh, what the ancient trail is for those who don't know. The, the ancient trail, um, it's a term that Michelle came up with at first to describe the trail that we would make on the land, seeing the various indigenous structures and various ceremonial practices, ways of healing, the, all the ancient wisdom. So it could be, let's say, uh, American, Native American, uh, Indian Tipi, and then a Mongolian Yurt, um, a sweat lodge, various structures uh, that, that you would see. And that was our thought. And there's a prophecy that many indigenous leaders know about. Do you know the Rainbow Tribe Prophecy? No. So the Rainbow Tribe Prophecy, we've been talking about it for hundreds of thousands of years, that one day all the tribes would come together and they would work together. And that would be, you know, the next level stuff, right? Kind of mm -hmm. like the new earth, heaven on earth level that we're talking about. And somehow it's happening now. So it started with the festival that actually started today, the Arwak festival with Fondo and Tarika. Tarika is from um, the indigenous people of the Andes. Mm -hmm. They actually live half of the year here, half the end of March, they're going to the Andes, they're connected with, with that group. And then somehow to Alejandro, we're talking about bringing his master from the Venezuelan Amazon, Rufino. Mm -hmm. to build the, the, his structure, the, the Mezcal, it'll take him six weeks with the team and all that. So that already started the collaboration. And I had that thought, wow, this is like the rainbow tribe actually happening. Fonville, when he realized it, he said, wow, just imagine bringing all the indigenous people of the Caribbean working here. We didn't make it up. He said there's a village in Brazil that has something that only um, use it. They meet a few, a few weeks a year. But then... There, there are more uh, collabs that have been evolving just recently. We went to LA. We connected with Rinpoche, a Tibetan um, Lama that could bring the Tibetans in. And a queen from uh, Congo, from the indigenous people of Congo, she's kind of representing all the indigenous people of Africa, including some, some tribes from the Amazon. There's another connection with an organization that is working with uh, indigenous people from the Ecuadorian Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, another um, guy that joined us today, remember I said the miracles and they're still happening today. So 
Andrew, who's joining our team, is a CTO, CMO, some kind of a format. And I met with him today. He's the guy that works with Moon that we're talking to on Saturday. So he is uh, connected with a group that just bought their land back in Albany, the Mo Mohawk Indians. They just bought 67 acres uh, back. So uh -huh. so somehow, you know, again, this is all, always every day just unfolding how the universe is putting it all together. We're accelerating with the whole indigenous part of it, of bringing a whole bunch of indigenous people, maybe the indigenous people from around the world. That queen is very powerful because she's kind of like a, an official representative of all the indigenous tribes of Africa. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. Yeah. There's... I mean, there's always, there's always this way there's oh, how to say this is like, there's always this, I'm going to caveat this and say it's something that it's not first. And there's a lot of this, these people who comment and they go, Oh, you're just romanticizing indigenous stuff. You're just, you know, I'm like, listen, you're refusing to learn from these people. Like they lived in a different era. They have different rituals. They have different ways of thinking about things, different ways of inter interacting with their environment. You think we can't learn from people who grew up learning how to properly interact with their environment because they were one with it? You know, it wasn't. Then, it wasn't even in the past. You know what it is? You know something that told Michelle a couple of days ago in regards to exercising, in regards to um, doing burpees. No burpees. Mm -hmm. burpees are yeah so it's one of those things like you, you sometimes you go through like a really bad day and you know all troubled and you know stressed out do 100 burpees you forget about everything because all of a sudden you're just banding with the burpees these people that i'm talking about they're in it right now in the amazon living tribal indigenous life try to survive a day on your own in the amazon Yep. These guys, they, they, have, and they, don't even, they don't even have a choice. It's a matter of survival for them to thrive. They need to know the, the rules of the universe. So they know about Mother Nature, and they know the truth, and they know of all these greater, bigger powers and how to connect. That unity consciousness, they were in unity consciousness forever, you know, using their ceremonies and their medicine and their, all, all that stuff. And yeah, that, that, that's the real deal. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. There's, there, there's, so, there's so many ways there. There's such a regenerative people. I like to think of them as regenerative. They just, cause they have to in order to survive. If you're like you said, if you're living one day out in that harsh kind of climate and atmosphere, you have to learn how to regenerate your environment so that you can live off of it. You have to learn how to take and give back to it so that it will continue to provide you with life and medicine and everything else. Um, so like, and the, we're just over here extracting and doing what we want to do with whatever, just throwing it away or making it into stuff that people throw away eventually and just put it wherever. It's crazy. But I want to touch on that point of security. Um, you touched on it there a little bit. Like Amazon tribes, they have, they have trouble because people will come and want to take their land to use it for farmland or to cut yeah. down their trees to use it for products or whatever. Um, we touched on it with the Jews during the Holocaust. There were these people, and all of a sudden, they're where they were born and raised, and they're being hauled off to these camps and being executed and put to death. And 
it always seems like um, there's an there's an old uh, comedian from Saturday Night Live, Jack Handy. Have you ever heard of him? No. He had these quotes called "Deep Thoughts," and I think I've told you this one before, but I'll say it for everybody else: is I can imagine a world that is very, very peaceful. I can imagine a world that is full of love, where everybody gets along. And I can imagine attacking that world because I'd never see it coming. <laughs> and it, it's just, you know, it's the thing about human history and that any anytime somebody tries to do something or even live a certain live their own life, even if it's great or not, they're just trying to live their own lives and somebody else comes in and says, hey, what are you doing here? Give me that. Get out of here. Come with us. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the change. It only makes it even more um, urgent and immediate as a mission to preserve all that indigenous knowledge and indigenous, indigenous wisdom because they're uh, disintegrating, stimulating, becoming more commercial. That's why Alejandro even made that connection. Alejandro is not an indigenous guy. His master Rufino had that insight. He's, he's uh, realized all their all his people are just going to the big cities and marrying, you know, outsiders, and that's it. You know, Steve um, Phillips they don't, said that we don't even speak the language, and so many um, elderly Indians in the U.S. passed because of COVID. So it's really l losing a lot of that heritage. So it's kind of urgent to preserve it and and to save it. You know, the more we can help, the better. Um, if we can help them, you know, save their lands in the Amazon and all that, it's, it's kind of an impossible fight. You can't stop the world. The, the thing that I would say about the Amazon, I think is one of the most interesting things that I heard recently. You probably heard the same from Joe Rogan, that it's mm. actually all man-made. You know about that? Which part? They say that the Amazon, right? We are stressed out about losing the Amazon, which is probably the best part of, of earth that there is right right um but they discovered that there were thriving cities there some estimates as much as 20 million people in the amazon at one point which by the, the way old, these, the old meccas right something like that yeah some, some crazy me mega cities and the reason that the amazon became what it is is because they engineered the best soil possible so it's all man-made actually and i think that's like one of the most interesting interesting things here because yes it's great and it's mother nature now and we should preserve it in the amazon it is true because i know because i see so many things coming out of the, the amazon it's like the treasure of the world most of the medicine most of the best things for us that they, they're they came from the amazon or, or are coming or will come so it is true but if it's really man-made that means that with engineering and working together we can create and still you know imagine if we can create another amazon or maybe amazon yeah. all over the world you know we can do it the the biodiversity there is unparalleled the amount of different things i i remember just talking to alan about uh the cassava because cassava yeah. is is from that area and he was saying that the reason that it's so resistant and good for, you know, acting against basic viruses and COVID or flu or some certain things, that it's good at preventing those is because the plant, due to its highly diverse environment, had to develop all these phytochemicals, he said, 
that right, act exactly. as defense mechanisms against yeah. it because it's fighting it's a highly comp competitive area but in a very rich soil so all these different diversity they're all competing but they're all harmonizing together at the same time so they're they're growing their own way they're doing their own thing but they're also defending their own space and because of you know basically like if it would have grown somewhere else it wouldn't have had all those phytochemicals that are necessary for what we need it now for as 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 a medicine so it, it was quite interesting it's just yeah the diversity and what and the the strengths that it builds and things um the the, the richness that the diversity gives is, is is absolutely amazing yeah yeah cassava is of course the number one best example of of that is yeah. uh something that we got from from the amazon and people a lot of people don't know that it, it originated in the amazon because it became a staple food worldwide so many people but uh, in africa the portuguese only brought it 200 years ago and that's actually another one of the amazing things that it's another proof of change so if you can make something a staple food and staple food means that you eat it morning lunch and, and evening but by a certain culture so it's a staple food for about 600 million people around the world so it didn't actually develop in, in africa if the Portuguese brought it, 200 years seems like a long time, but it's not that long for something to catch into your culture and actually mm -hmm. change or, or develop a, a way that, that you're being. So um, that's also why it's great because there's so much epidemiology and information about it because all these populations have been consuming it all the time. And not only the, the, do they not have a problem, they're actually stronger. If you, if you analyze and you measure the population that are consuming cassava, of course, cancer rates are always a lot lower, but they're also stronger and healthier in so, so many different ways because it is a superfood. And it's densely nutritious, just so densely yeah. nutritious. Of course, it becomes a staple food. You know, it's funny, the first time I encountered it was when I was in Africa, and that's, I thought it was from Africa when I encountered it. Yeah, yeah. So I just yeah, saw it everywhere, think, yeah. absolutely yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I think they even make. Uh, I was uh, living in Mozambique, and they even make a uh, cassava beer over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, there's one called Doshem is the name of the beer for all of you beer lovers out there. No, they they make a lot of stuff um, out of cassava. I'm blanking on. It'll come back to me, but there, there's a lot of um, things in in our life that are actually from cassava that we're not aware of, but we're we're focused on on the fruit. What's interesting here is that it's all about the leaves and the leaves some people eat it actually some in africa but there are about 300 million tons of leaves worldwide every year and only about a million are used as food all the other ones are, are thrown away that's one of the amazing things that could jump jump start the shift because it starts from the small farmer and you know in these countries these farmers are really poor they're if they're making a hundred bucks a month it's a lot these are this is the poorest population those small farmers in these third world countries so the ones that are growing cassava so if you actually give them another revenue stream mm -hmm. of of the leaves which normally they're just throwing away it may actually cost them in time and energy or money to get rid of them you're saying you can actually make money from the leaves that's why this is such a potentially world-changing uh, plan 
because it starts from actually changing the world through empowering the farmers. It starts with that. And then, wow. yeah. And then um, next step is manufacturing. Manufacturing is also amazing. Creating jobs is the best thing that any country can do. And, um, and then just spreading it through the world. So, you know, with, yeah. with, the, with the last inch, it would be ramping up pretty widely in terms of like uh, quantity because the, the idea behind it is that everybody will consume it. So imagine having to feed a country. It's millions of lozenges a day, just per, per day, per country. So mm -hmm. if the world will do it, it'll be billions. So it's pretty massive manufacturing, which is another... Could you give... Could you give people a little bit of backstory on the lozenge for the so they don't know about it? Kind of makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People would know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me just finish the point of how it, it changed the country. So we're, we're going to hopefully start in Rwanda, as you suggested originally with the SCZ, creating the the SCV and hopefully they, they will back it up and, and we'll start there. And I'm proposing it also to DR. Rodney, our attorney, already re is recommending it to some guy in the government because why not, right? It's developing a country. Again, it's good for the farmers. You make jobs, you, you make a product. It's only good stuff. And um, again, as an example of how fast things are evolving just in the last few days because we were in, in LA, we met with Regan Machado, Higan Machado, and his spot is Manaus, which is in the Amazon. <laughs> Another thing with the Amazon, we're attacking it from all, all directions. So the SCZ in, in Manaus for Brazil, it's also amazing. It's the best. In Brazil, you can really pump it up. Going back to what I was saying, you, we need quite a bit of quantity. So yeah, Rwanda can can do it DR too, but if it's really going to be billions, Brazil is really serious manufacturing power. So yeah, it's just it's just interesting how things are <laughs> are evolving. Um, but the lozenge. So the the story with the lozenge, right? How it all started. So we uh, discovered that it has very therapeutic uh, properties or not necessarily therapeutic, but it, it works very well against cancer cells back in 019. And then in 020, we wanted to test it on uh, COVID and it worked. So then the idea is simple, that people that have COVID, if they consume the lozenge, which is made out of our extract, within a few hours or up to 24 hours, even if you have COVID, you're not going to have it in your mouth and your nasal cavities, which means that you're not going to transmit because 99% of the transmission is through that. So we, we completed the trial and it worked basically. So now we have to take the next step. Yep. It's totally blocks transmission. And they thought those silly masks were going to do it. Yeah. They don't <laughs> really work the mask. No, they don't at all. I, I loved when that study came out. All these people just wearing like some, you know, little little dentist mask or something over. It's like, yeah, there's there's holes in that. There's a whole bunch of air pathways. Yeah.
Uh, I didn't think I would like yeah, I would tell great. the whole story in, in the podcast because it's the first time that we're actually telling the story. And usually you're kind of scared of it because the whole system, as we know, I'm just calling out everybody. I'm calling the Jews, I'm calling the system, I'm calling everybody. The system is against these kind of things because it's a simple solution that works and is going to solve possibly the biggest problem that we have. That's how big it is. And a lot of people don't want that, that to happen. There are these powers that don't want us to just be healthy. So, Well, yeah. you mentioned uh, Joe Rogan earlier. Do you see what they did to him with uh, ivermectin? No, did I did not. Did you follow that at all? So no. Rogan, ivermectin is this uh, drug that was like discovered in the 70s by this Japanese scientist. And it was helping in cases of river blindness in Africa, curing that. And it's also the same uh, medicine source that I give my dogs for their heartworms. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it has multiple uses as well. And, and, and so people started trying it against COVID or um, to relieve the symptoms or to make, it wasn't for not passing transmission like cassava. It was for like helping to uh, relieve and help you get over uh, COVID quicker than you normally would. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it had some promising results. Uh, he started taking it. He got it. He got it prescribed to him by a doctor. So he went through the system, and it's also you. There's also a version of it, or a variation of it, that's used on animals. Like I said, for dogs, de deworming dogs, deworming horses, blah blah blah. So since ivermectin is an old drug and it's not on patent anymore, so they can't profit off of it. It's super cheap. It's super available everywhere. <laughs> And so CNN and other networks started running stories of him saying that Joe Rogan is taking horse dewormer mm. and just making it seem like it's a ridiculous thing that he's doing. And this is for a drug for animals. This guy is, this guy is an idiot. This shouldn't listen to him. He's crazy. He's a good bub, you know, and, and he, and he, you know, this totally smeared him, totally lied about it completely just across all these media outlets. I mean, the machine just clicked into action to just put him under the bus saying that he was some crazy nut job uh, taking horse dewormer is how they phrase it. Did he take it or did he respond? Oh, he responded. You know what, what the funny part about this is, and I don't understand, I, I, you know, I think it's the, it's the hubris and the pride of this, like this organization, this media apparatus the head of the medical commentary on CNN, Sanjay Gupta, mm -hmm. he went on Joe Rogan's show to promote his book. <laughs> and Rogan just confronted him about it. He just goes, you guys lied about me on your network. It wasn't Sanjay who did it. But uh -huh. it was like, he goes, they completely lied. He goes, what's going on over there? And he like brought, because Rogan has this setup where he can bring up YouTube clips, he can show things, and in real time, he just brings up CNN articles, he brings up clips of Don Lemon basically saying all this stuff, and he's like, do you think that was right? Do you think right that they, they lied? I got it from a fucking doctor. Like, I was prescribed it. This isn't some animal version I'm taking, like, you know, and just confronted him on it, and Sanjay had to, he tried to squirm out of it at first, uh -huh. get, but you're sitting there with Rogan for three hours, normally, yeah, yeah. right? So, you yeah. can't get out of it. You're in the, yeah, stuck in that course. room. Yeah, um, and he had to admit he had to admit that that was the wrong thing for them to do. But well, yeah. So you know, he, you know, he, you, did, that, he did get what, his. That's what uh, we should maybe maybe that's what we should do. You and I should have a podcast where we bring all these people 
and we just call we'll call them on yeah. stuff. That sounds fun. 